So, new records coming out on July 23rd via Metalville Records, available wherever music is sold. Make sure you go buy it. Don't download it for free. You know, don't Napster it. We don't. It's, come on, enough of that. We need you to buy this stuff because it's awesome. Uh, Lee Aaron, welcome to the show. What's happening? Hey, well, you know, what, what's happening with you? It's it's a pandemic. <laughs> it's, uh, I know, right? I make a lot of music. <laughs> Been doing a lot of writing and a lot of recording. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let me ask you about that. Because I, I was just talking to Robin McCauley. He, he put out a, a solo album and the band never met. He had to do everything in his basement, hidden away, doing vocals all alone. What was the recording process for you like on this one? Were you in a bunker somewhere or did you and Sean and the other guys get to actually sort of interact? Well, I've told this story a couple of times, but I'll, I'll repeat it to you again. Um, we had written the first time for us. First time we're hearing it. Brand new, <laughs> brand go. new for us. <laughs> well, we had written the material in 2019, uh, late 2019. And we had studio time booked for March, 2020. And I said to Sean, you know, you're halfway across the country. I'm a real believer that, you know, a band should record live off the floor, at least get your bed trucks away. Like, I love that energy of us all being in the same room together, being able to play together and make eye contact. And um, it's the only way I like to make studio albums. And, uh, but what ended up happening was the week that we were booked in the studio, we had one gig and we were going to fly Sean here after uh, Calgary. Uh, number one, we were all kind of scared to get on a plane and go do this gig, but it was a private corporate show. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were playing for throngs of thousands. It was 150 really wealthy people. <laughs> so, nice. it, so it kind of worked out well. And we came back here and then it was just sort of, it was that week in March where uh, not only were things changing daily, things were changing hourly and like the, the the level of panic around the globe was just like starting to escalate like crazy and people went crazy and they bought all the meat and the toilet paper. And, yeah. like, and so um, we were booked to do our bed tracks for a few days. And luckily we ended up furiously cutting them in about two days. And then Sean had to fly back home because his son was ill and his wife was worried. There was just, there were so many unknowns at that point. Right. Hmm. And um so yeah, we pulled off all those bed tracks in the same room together in two days. And wow. then, then we went back to our bunkers and we had that conversation where we're like, okay, dudes, we have to all get on the same platform. So let's choose Logic Pro. <laughs> and so we all got Apple Logic and then we all, um, you know, it was mostly Sean and I that had to do a lot, most of the overdubs um, because of, you know, just, I play keyboards, he plays keyboards, he was doing some guitar overdubs. I was cutting some vocals and then um, when we did background vocals, Dave, you know, we made sure that he is, was safe and not seeing people. He came over and cut vocals with me here. So background oh, nice. vocals. So luckily we were able to be in the same room to cut our bed tracks. So I, I hope the, the album reflects that uh, kind of live energy, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the record does sound pretty live. I mean, even to listening to the drums, I'm like, oh, you got some real drums going on here, which is good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Different in 2020, 20, 21. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, you listen to a lot of, well, I mean, you know, you could have easily gone in, taken those bed tracks and then did sample replacements and made them sound, you know, like Bob Rock drums. And it's like, it, to me, it sounds, you know, like like a real drummer behind a real kit playing with the real band. And that's what rock and roll is, right? Absolutely. I'm a firm believer. I'm also a firm believer that if you don't, 
if you don't get a good take in like your first three takes to just go have a coffee and take a break because you're not, you know, you lose that magic. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm a real believer in that. And, uh, and, you know, and also hiring the right team of people around you. Like I sort of pseudo interviewed a bunch of different mixers for this record. Cause I was interviewing some American people, but obviously it seemed as though it was going to be a situation where I would have to send all the files, they would mix and then they would send them back. And then I'd, we would do in this yin and yang thing back and forth. I'd be approving this mix or saying this needs to be louder. And then uh, just sort of a lucky accident. I was talking to my bass player and he said, yeah, I had a conversation. I was in the studio doing something and I had a conversation with Mike Fraser a few days ago. And he said, he, he loves you and he would love to work with you. And I went, Mike Fraser? I'd like wow. to be his number. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. and so just, he was in Vancouver. So we actually were able to go into the studio and mix, masked up, but mixed together in the same room. So oh. what was uh, that done? Did you guys go to the warehouse and do that or another studio? Uh, the Armory. Armory, yeah. nice. Yeah, so I just, I feel like I got so lucky, you know, uh, in terms of the, the processes for this album to be able to complete it with real humans. Like, you know, yeah. I was, yeah, I, it was good. It was good. Talk about the influence. I mean, you know, the record's called Radio One, and, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of really cool kind of homages to radio. What was the radio that you grew up listening to? Like, what was the station that played all the songs that you grew up loving? That's a good question, because I can't remember the station when I was a young teen, but it was in the Toronto area. C-R-A-P-F-M, um, playing nothing but your faves. Yeah, I, you know, um, and I know that that, of course, migrated to being Q107, which was the big rock station that played everything when I was growing up. Yeah, and still um, does. I mean, they are the classic rock station of Canada in a way. Yes, and, um, you know, I just I just remember that I, you know, when I was like 11 years old, I got this like little yellow transistor radio for Christmas. And I was just like with a little, you know, the it, the telescoping, you know, <laughs> antenna. And I was yeah. like, I remember sitting at the top of my slide in the backyard and just go when Hotel California came on the radio and rush fly by night and just going like, man, this is the bomb, right? Like, yep. and I just, you know, when we, when we call the album radio on number one, it's a, it's one of the song titles, but um, yeah. it was kind of reminiscent. That song is reminiscent of, um, just that great era of AOR radio where disc jockeys could, you know, um, make or break a band. They had the freedom to play what they wanted. They'd go, man, yeah. I love this band. I'm going to play it on my late night yeah. show. And, you know, when you had relationships with disc jockeys and I just like, I so miss that. Don't you? Yeah, I, I do. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm on the radio five nights a week in Montreal on the number one station in the city. Yep. And, you know, I'm on the I'm on a pop format. It's a hot AC station. But now the bureaucracy that goes on and the political yeah. kind of stuff that goes on with the, the selection of our playlists and the, the market research and the testing and all this. It's like, you know, I can't just discover a new Montreal artist and be like, oh, my God, like, yo, this this song is like it slaps, man. Yeah. Like, let me give you a spin tonight. Like it would have to go through through a committee and music directors yep. and program. And then your program director would say, but would Jennifer listen to it? Exactly. <laughs> or Karen. Yeah. Or yeah. Karen but but, but their, their code work at, at the, at the station is Jennifer yeah. with yeah. the Jennifers oh, out there. Yes. 
Yeah. That's what they always say with the Jennifers out there. Listen to yeah. it. So, yeah. But, so, so let me take up on that then. How important is radio? Because we talk a lot about Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube videos and all that. But ultimately, radio still breaks bands or songs and radio still pays, which kind of a good thing. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, once you've had a career longer than 30 years, which mm-hmm. would be me, um, you are considered what is called a, a legacy kind of artist. And so, you know. And, and by the way, just to cut you off, uh, in the radio world, you would be called gold. Right. <laughs> you'd, you'd, fall into so, the, you'd fall into the gold category. So my old hits get played on the radio and I still receive royalties for those. But trying to get a new song on the radio, I mean, let's be honest, it's nearly impossible. If they're not going to play the new Bruce Springsteen and the new Brian Adams, why are they going to play the new Learen? And I don't want to be negative here, but, you know, that's kind of the reality. So my focus as an artist these days is, yeah, you know, our Spotify numbers aren't bad. You know, my audience still listens you know, let's be honest, my audience is over 40 and they listen still, they love physical product. They'll buy vinyl. The, yep. good, the thing of the difference between me and a lot of the young artists is that I'm going to sell physical products still. And that's yeah. why people keep offering me record deals um, because they know they can make a certain amount of money. And in a way, that's a beautiful thing too. And that is something also that really translates well to your, like when you have an established reputation for playing live and people know that you deliver your a good performance um like i'm one of the f- a, sort of an elite few artists in canada that can actually go and do these big casino showrooms and these festivals and yeah. actually get yeah paid very handsomely to or, do it. or heavy yeah. montreal that that gig was fantastic oh thanks yeah. yeah that was such a fun show you know and so my circuit in certainly in canada these days is the large casino showrooms and they're beautiful. They're state of the art sound yeah. and everything. Right. And, uh, yeah. and festivals mostly in the summertime. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, well, I'm going to ask you then about that. Then sure. you know, that FM is playing the old hits, you know, that the guy that's going to casino Rama or heavy Montreal wants to hear the old hits. So then what compels you to make new music? Why not just say, listen, I'm going to take the fee. I'm going to go do my concert. And I'll play you the the ten songs you know. Merci bonsoir. Why why go through the rigmarole of getting Sean and getting Mike Frey? I mean, just what compels you? <laughs> because I'm a little bit neurotic, number right. one. <laughs> <laughs> but and you know what? There are a lot of legacy artists that are just content to go out there and play their old hits and. And that's great. That's great for them. But it's not great for me. Um, because I, you know, I don't know, I just feel still compelled to make music. I, um, you know, I felt if this explains it, I'm going to tell you a little story. Like if right. I felt like my career was just sort of really getting going in the late 80s, early 90s. And then all of us had our careers sidelined by grunge. Right. You know, grunge music. You remember that era. I if do. Associated with hair metal or classic rock of that particular era. And you know what? You were a pariah. I mean, the, the period. Pardon me? <laughs> if if you were associated with hair metal in 1995, you were a pariah that nobody wanted to touch you. They just. Well, they, and the, the, the hard pill for me to swallow right. was I was still like 
I think I was 29 when Emotional Rain came out or something. And I was like, I'm still young. I'm not even 30 yet. And I was like, I really loved Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Green Day and the Pixies and all these bands. And I'm like, I'm going to adopt this flavor into my own brand of rock because I think it's really cool. And I mean, mm. the Rolling Stones have traditionally done that throughout their entire career, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, But radio, the the type of media support I was able to get at that time was just non-existent. So it was, you know, I kind of retreated, licked my wounds, took a year off. When I came back, I had no desire to get on the band, the uh, pop culture bandwagon. So I started singing jazz. Yep. And, and I saw one of those shows. You were great. Thank you. Um, it was very authentic. I mean, I grew up singing mm -hmm. that music. I was involved in theater. I sang all the Tin Pan Alley writers and Broadway musical stuff when I was a kid. So again, it was a very genuine motivation. Um, and then after the jazz era, I had got married and I had children and I, I had our, our son was, our daughter was born in 2004 and our son was, was born in 2006. And um, all of my creative energy for about a decade went into raising our kids because they're, you talk about pariahs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, little emotional pariahs are like, no, love me, feed me, take care of me. And I'm like, okay, this is a really important job. I better do this. Well, I don't want my mm -hmm. children in therapy, you know, when they're like 40. Yeah. So, um, I took a decade off and I raised our kids with my husband and it was like, I'm, I would never have changed that. It was an awesome time in my life. It expanded me immensely as a human being. And, um, yeah. Yeah. But then I was kind of like, okay, Mike, I stopped when my career was just getting going. I still have so much more to do. And then right. connected with Sean and then we made Fire and Gasoline in 2016. So I feel yeah. is it in a weird way, like I'm just sort of having this like whole new creative period right. in my uh Yeah. And, and I support it. Listen, I got to say, as an older fan who still buys CDs, because that's what I do. I look at new Cheap Trick and new FM and new Thunder and all these bands that are from back then making stuff and I get excited. And then I look at the other bands like Kiss and Aerosmith that aren't doing anything. And I'm just not compelled to pick up the old albums anymore. I still get excited about new stuff and I love Radio On. I've had a chance to hear it and it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Thank you. It was that. Well, yeah, I think it, I hope it captures that energy. We, uh, we yeah. did a lost weekend of writing in, uh, late 2019 and uh, locked ourselves in our rehearsal space here. I said to the guys, bring your best three or four song ideas because everybody in the band is the songwriter. Yep. Um, Sean's great. He's great. Uh, you know, I'm a songwriter. Dave is a great songwriter. Um, mostly I'm the lyricist and I write the top line, but I bring musical ideas as well. Like 21 was that song that was pretty much fully formed on piano by me. I write a lot on piano and, um, hmm. And then my husband is a fantastic, he's a musicologist. He's, we've got a record collection here of over 200,000 pieces of vinyl. It's pretty insane. Wow. We had to build, we had to build an addition onto our house. <laughs> so. That's amazing. Wow. Vinyl addition. <laughs> Hey, I'm so, curious about I'm curious about this. You know, you said your sons were born in like 06 and 04. I mean, you know, they're mid-teens, like 15 and 17 almost. What kind of music are they listening to? And like, what, what kind of music gets played around the house? Well, um, it's my daughter is 16 and our son yeah. is 15. Yeah. So my my little brother was born in 2003. He's going to be 18 this year. So I was like, oh, he's like, kind of like his age group. Okay. Yeah. Um, our son loves Green Day and Blink-182. Wow. So he's a huge, uh, and my husband, we've been uh, 
going through some punk documentaries and showing mm-hmm. them some stuff on the Sex Pistols and Iggy Pop and nice. all of that really cool. Um, oh, it's working out. Yeah, my, my daughter's turning 18 and it's all Cardi B and Post Malone. That said, though, Post Malone's a talent, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Cardi B and the little baby. I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, you know what? I like a lot of new stuff. I think Billie Eilish is brilliant. You know, like I think there's a lot oh, of new yeah. stuff out there that's inspiring. And then there's a lot, it's just like, this is my philosophy. There's like good music and then there's crap, right? And this is like, there's good music being made today. And then there's a lot of pablum being fed to the public, right? And um, and what I get a little tired of, it's it's artists that can use technology in a brilliant way. That's one thing. But then the ones that are using it to sort of mask the idea that, you know, I don't really play that well or sing that well. Like, I'm sorry, but I can spot pitch correction a mile away and it drives me nuts. Oh, yeah. right? um, not to be critical. Well, I, I heard it all over Radio One, so yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, listen, we had that going on in the 80s, too. We had a whole bunch of, you know, you look at the top 100, you've got 10 good songs and a lot of like, ooh. <sighs> Well, the, the truth is hair metal and corporate rock got really, really bad in the late 80s because what happened is all those labels jumped on the bandwagon and they're like, write more songs like Night Ranger and Bon Jovi. And so you had all these bands that were imitators. Well, right? Mitch yeah. always says, you know, it wasn't hair metal that killed hair metal. It was, no, it, was, it wasn't grunge that killed hair metal. It wasn't grunge that killed hair metal. It was the it power was the, ballad. It was the power ballad, yeah. <laughs> It's true because you look at look at 89, 90, 91, every Motley Crue song, every it was all power ballad. And at some point as a fan, I went, Your my rock bands don't rock. So the hell with it. I'm out. Yeah, yeah I hear you. <laughs> you know? I, I hear you. Yeah. But uh, back to this though. So so what is the plan now in terms of getting out there and promoting it? Because it's hard to not or it's hard to you can't go play shows right now. So so what do you do? What's What's the alternative to get fans to become aware? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's so disheartening, you know, because we had a, a bunch of uh, shows uh, and big shows. Like we were on the Monsters of Rock, which I think you were supposed to be on that or you are on that coming up, right? Yeah. Um, we were on Sweden Rock. I had a big, I was headlining a big festival in France. I was doing going to Germany. Um, all of that's been pushed into 2022 and I see that Monsters of Rock has just been remounted, but I think it, it looks like it's all American bands leaving from Miami. Now. Yeah. The so, crews. Yeah. And you know what? That makes total sense because taking a gamble on international or any kind of, you know, Canadian acts, you know, it's just, it's just too hard right now because at any moment, any one of us could be India, right? Because all we have to do is be stupid again for a little while, right? I mean, yeah. even the uh, M3 festival, uh, the Killer Dwarves had a whole bunch of shows and they're all gone stateside. You, you, you just can't. You can't no, you can't. So I'm doing a lot of Zoom interviews, uh, a lot of... Uh, Which we love. Here we are. Yep. Skype. <laughs> a lot of Skype. Um, yep. I'm, we've got a video in the bag and we're working on another video right now. So we're just, we're just going to pump out content like... We're going to do at least three videos for this album. Um, we just got a few like little social media commercials promoting the music and the album cover, you know, flying right. in your face kind of stuff. So, and, um, you know, I've tried to, you know, I got to be honest, I have a love hate relationship with socials. I don't like it to feel like it's another job. 
that I have to keep up with, right? Which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. It feels like that sometimes, right? It, it does, does, especially you know. And and if you'd build up and you know, Mitch and I we talk about this all the time. It's like if you build up a certain amount of following, then it's like, oh my god, well, I can't let them down. I have to be creating content. I have to get stuff out there. And, I know. And it, it does become a job that you don't even get paid for at the end of the day. It's like you don't get paid to post on Twitter unless somebody's actually buying your CD. But I'll I'll, I'll take over for you. Uh, Go ahead. Me. Because, yeah. you know, listen, I, I do 25,000 uh, followers, 10 million impressions a month. So I'll, I'll take over. But it is a job. It just. Yeah, it, it, it is a job. And um, it's crazy. So I find that I uh, like I've got a web designer that help a webmaster that helps me a little bit with some of my social stuff. But yeah, I every like every day I'm going, what am I going to put on Facebook today? What am I going <laughs> to? And it's like, yeah. and you know, you want it to be authentic. So it's, you know, if I'm doing something fun, I'll post a fun picture. I like to do people, my fans like throwbacks. I started something called um, on my Instagram called Ask Lee. So fans, they send in questions and I spend 10 minutes answering them every Tuesday and they love it. Like just because it's, it's a way to maintain a connection yeah. and them to feel like I care about what they're thinking and what they're wanting to know about from me. And um, so um People like authentic on social media. You know, if they see you cooking some butter chicken or something, they're like, oh, look at Lee's cooking butter chicken. Like, you know, they, they like shit like that. They do. Um, <laughs> in, 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 yeah. Speaking of the old days, uh, do you like the way that your management had positioned you in terms of your imagery? Or do you look back at it now going, you know what? I should have been a maybe stronger in my in, in saying how I wanted to tailor my career. Because I know there's a couple of, decisions that were made that you're not overly proud of do, do you look back and say i should have been more forceful and been lee and not listen to these yahoo guys in the suits well i i love the way that you so eloquently worded that question thank you <laughs> it was it was very nicely done thank diplomacy you. is my uh, uh, yes. second uh, business um, <laughs> so i've talked about this a fair amount recently so this is what i have to say I stumbled through a few of the early years of my career from the age of 18 to about 22. Right. I was a kid. I, I, I was naive. I knew nothing about, I thought like, you know, if you played the gas works, that was the epitome of fame in Canada. And I didn't realize it was just a rock bar on Young Street. Now, I mean, it was a great rock bar. Don't get me wrong. But, I, but it was uh, a rock bar. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, I just didn't really have a school. I was a little girl, this chick from the suburbs. I didn't really know, played in a high school band. And um, so when we met and got involved with our first management team, um, they had very specific ideas. They pulled me out from behind the keyboards. They said, you're not playing keys and you're up. You can play keys for like two songs, but you're not full-time back there. You're not playing sax on stage. You're going to be the front person. You're going to be Learen and, and, um, and, my first manager took me shopping. Like, I don't want to, again, I don't want to badmouth him because he was also young. He was in his mid twenties. Right. Um, when I was 18, he was, I think 25 or 26. And he was also, um, I wouldn't say a victim, but part of that cultural era of right. sexism and music and sexism in music. Right. It was very, right. if you were in a guy rock band, you had trophy chicks hanging off your arms right. to make you give you posterity and make you look, fabulous right mm -hmm. and if you were a woman and you were attractive the big push was to market you like how short of friggin red hot pants can we get her in right. you know what i mean that was kind of the agenda back then and um 
And so I hate the word victim, but I would definitely became a part of that dynamic in that um, the early eighties to mid eighties. And um, mm. some of those decisions I look back on and go, man, I wish I'd just say it said, you know what? I friggin' hate showing my legs. I feel really uncomfortable in these hot pants. You guys can all piss off. But um, I didn't really understand that I could say no. I thought right. this is how it's done. And well, I, oh, now we're getting gigs. So I guess this was good that I did right. this. Mm-hmm. Um, the th- but then when I had, you know, drunk guys at the front of the stage going, hey, Lee, take it off. You know, I'm going, maybe that was, this is a fallout from that decision. And so it was, it was a really awkward five years for me learning. And I got to tell you, the song Metal Queen, that song was about taking your power back. It was about women can be the matriarchal power. And, you know, um, that song was meant to be a feminist statement of empowerment. However, it was released in an era when MTV and Much Music was just as in its inception. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, it, it was, you know, um, uh, bookmarked and sandwiched in between all these other videos with women getting sprayed down and washing guys' cars and you know what I mean? And so I think at, in that particular time frame that the message was lost, right? It, I mean, I get asked about it a lot now and people say, yeah, that was a real feminist statement, but it was kind of lost in that 80s culture, right? Um, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to watch much music and I would watch the Power Hour and that I remember that video being fed in between the Bon Jovis and the Def Leppards and the other ones with the dancing girls. And it was just, it was just more girls. It was just, exactly. you know. And so that makes me sad, but... You know, the fans that really love that tune, and I mean, a testament to that song is people still scream for it today. And, you know, I have people crying at the end going, that song meant so much to me um, in terms of rising above whatever, you know, uh, you know, thing they had to rise above in their life. And um, so I think that the song, Time Has given that song, um, the new, nar- the, the, the true narrative has come to light. Right. And, um, mm. I mean, so I, I think that the song, uh, you know, that's why it's still meaningful for people. I I'd like to think. Well, uh, not to sound pedestrian about it, but it's meaningful to me because I remember it very clearly in my formative years of getting into hard rock and metal and power hour and much music. And so that visual and that song and, you know, I remember going, oh, she's Canadian. And I was like, oh, because, you know, yeah. up until then, anything Canadian rock was sort of like, ah. Uh. And then, you know, you got you started getting your April wines and you, and then Lee comes out and you go, oh, hey, we are pretty good up here. All right, I'm into Canada this. Canada can rock. Canada can rock, even though CanCon sometimes, you know. And so, so no, that it was important. And, and, and I'm assuming that video was very important to you too then as well. I mean, much music must have just completely altered your career path. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that. And then I, you know, I, I did a few more videos throughout the 80s. But the, the one that really broke me when, you know, much music was in its really its glory days in the late 80s, they were just all over the body rock album and the body rock videos. And they, you know, when you, you know, that was the ticket. If you got into heavy rotation on much music, your career, yep. 
went into the stratosphere and it was sort of like, you know, that is basically what happened with that album. And I went from, you know, playing, you know, large clubs to suddenly being an arena act overnight. It was, it was pretty cool actually. Yeah. Well, what, what you do to my body is, is another one of those videos. You just go, yep. I remember that from back then. So hey, cool. paid off, paid off in the end. I like this. I'm learning a lot tonight. I know. <laughs> I know you're uh, Jeremy's only 26, by the way. So you're getting you're getting the old man perspective tonight, Jeremy, where I'm but, teaching you. But I like you. It's, it's cool, though, because, you know, you're talking about the female empowerment and, you know, kind of being squished between the guys and the videos, you know, in, on uh, in rotation on much and stuff. It's like, you know, when I was growing up, like I was listening to Shania Twain and Mariah Carey and like it was all like, you know, big, powerful women. And even today, like in modern pop, like it's all about women empowerment. Whereas at the time, I can imagine what that was like for you to be kind of in the middle of that foray of just, it's just dudes. You know, it, it was hard, you know, I think um, for bands like myself, Vixen, Girl School, I'm trying to think of who, Joan Jett, Lita, Lita Ford, Ford, you know, um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, because there was this real agenda to like, you know, oh, you know, we want you to dance around like those other girls that dance around. And we're going to, you know, we're going to tape your breasts together with gaff tape to make you look like you have cleavage when you actually yeah. don't have any. And that's a true story that happened yeah. to me, you know, wow. like, and um, so it was, it was hard because, you know, um, I remember on my sixth album, some girls do being yeah. in my manager's office and someone had called him. It was another industry guy called him because they had a young girl singer and they were looking for hits. And they, he was asking my manager who wrote the hit for Lee. And I'm like, people don't know. I wrote my own, I'm on my sixth album and people don't know. I own, write my own songs. Oh. I know. And it was just, wow. it was really disheartening for me because um, yeah, you know, I would like to think that we paved the way for all of those 90s girls to pick up guitars and have angry things to say and be damn well respected for doing it. It was really hard to, um, for, for us, we deserved respect, but I think that it was really hard for us to get that respect just because of the whole culture, the, cu yeah. the sexist culture we were yeah. trying to, you know, break through. Um, I'm going to throw this out here, by the way. I, I think Madonna had a lot to do with that. You look at her early videos, Holiday and Lucky Star, and they were they were they were traipsing her around like a tramp. And then she sort of said, no, 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 no. I'm in charge here. And she changed her 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 way. And and I think that that paved the way for a lot of people going, yeah, you know what? We're in charge here. And yeah. so I love Madonna. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I know that when I first saw her and she she i think it was maybe the mtv music awards and she did like a virgin and she oh yeah rolled around the floor and, and everything showed her underwear and i was just like what <laughs> it's like i mean it got a lot of attention it didn't get my respect at first you know nope. um, so you probably felt the same way and then yep. uh, but yeah, she broke a mold she took she she took charge and then she did she got out of that and took charge of her career and um you know, in 1992, I left my record label in Canada um, because I, you know, there's a story I want to tell you, but I don't want to badmouth anybody. <laughs> so I'll, you know, I'll train you in diplomacy. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk, you know, my label at the time. Well, listen, I'm going to say is, talking shit if you're talking truth. So, okay. So 
because I, I actually have a really nice relationship with the former head of my label. He's a lovely man. But, you know, he was kind of like up here. And then there was a bunch of different staff people down here doing a variety of different jobs. And sometimes the left hand was not talking to the right hand. And one of the things that they were not required to do by my contract was run marketing ads by me. I got to pick the photographs, but they didn't have to run the actual, you know, uh, print. Like the slogan or anything. The final copy. In 1991, uh, the Some Girls Do album, I kind of argued with them about the, the song Sex With Love being released as a single because I said, look, just because of my former marketing, I think that just an, the, the whole idea of the song Sex With Love was about monogamy and like you're going to be intimate with someone. It's nice if you really care about them, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was supposed to be a fun romp like that. And it, and anyway, they, they're like, no, 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 we think this is the single. And I'm like, <clears throat> I disagree, but I, I didn't have the power to stop it. And then they took out a full page ad and I don't want to say, but it was a big, big Canadian industry magazine with a photo that I had approved, which was a fine photo. But the ad said, here's sex on the radio. And it listed all the stations that went with the uh, single. And then it said, see sex on TV. And it listed much music good rocking tonight and all these video stations across Canada that had gone on the video. Oh no. But this is the, this is the clincher. Then it said, see sex on tour. And it listed my tour dates. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I completely lost my mind. And I just said, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. can't. So, and again, I have a great relationship with the former head of that label, but it was just, you know, this guy didn't talk to this guy and some guy, marketing guy thought this was a great idea, didn't approve it with this guy and never talked to me. And I- Do you think they would have done that to a male artist? I don't know. I- I, I, Probably not as blatant, no. But to be fair- Again, I was in my manager's office and someone called and said, have you seen this ad in the blah, blah magazine? Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I just, I felt like throwing up. I lost my mind. Like, you know, and I was just like, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. And you know what? That is the point for me at which I went independent mm-hmm. and tried to take my career back. I mean, of course, then grunge happened, but I have not, um, been been a direct label signing since 1992. I've, I've I've always done everything on my own imprint, and gone and gotten like Metalville is my mother label distributor through mm-hmm. Rough Trade and Amped in, in North America, and um, you know, and nobody produces my albums for me anymore. I make the you know, and I'm not to, to sound boastful or anything, but yeah, you know, um, I think more women should be doing this and being in charge of their careers this way. Yeah. Well, see sex on YouTube as she's got three <laughs> videos coming out for this album. <laughs> okay. I, can I say a-hole? <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, Lee geez. Aaron, Radio On, July 23rd. It's available wherever music is sold. Make sure you go buy the CDs, buy the vinyl. You're going to do the vinyl thing? You're going to you got to get the gate yes. and all that? I got to tell you, it was supposed to come out on June 18th, and that's why it's delayed is because of COVID. All the vinyl factories in the entire yeah. world are backed up right now. Yep. 
So it's coming out on beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful packaging and white vinyl. So I'm very excited nice. about that. Oh, you, that's yeah, going to be yeah. nice. That's going to be yeah. sexy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're going to buy one, Jeremy. Damn right. Well, I buy all the vinyl. Every time we do an interview, I refuse to have them send me anything. Because I'm like, no, I want to buy. I only interview people I, I actually care about and like. So I'm like, I, I want to buy the the product. I want to buy and want to support. And, you know, so it's I cool agree. white vinyl. I agree. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Sweet. Well, this was awesome. It was so cool to meet you. Canadian icon right here, man. There you go. Well, <laughs> it was really fun talking to you guys, man. Merci bien. And uh, say hello to Sean for us. I will do that, Mitch. Awesome. All Cheers. Right. Good to Bye. meet you. Bye now. See you later. There you go. Bye.